WBSM presents Spooky South Ghost with your hosts Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa. And science advisor Matt Moniz, how do, how do my vocal cords sound tonight? Silent Assassin, do they sound amazing. okay? Amazing. I was just calling. Uh, I was doing PA announcing for a T-ball game. Now batting number one, Matt Costa. It's the first time that's ever said that. Anybody <laughs> ever? Well, in that case, now batting number two, Matt Moniz. <laughs> first time somebody said uh, that. Actually, uh, that would be. A pretty horrible baseball team. Didn't I, I thought? I thought no. I thought you guys played sports when you were in high school. Matt, you were on the football team. Yep. You played rear end. <laughs> and Moniz, you were on the baseball team. You played left out. <laughs> right. All right. So <laughs> I was in the AV club. So that's why I end up announcing games instead of uh, coaching them. So, but uh, congratulations to all the kids that played in that game. They did a great job. So. We are here to talk with you not about T-Ball, but about the paranormal, as we are each and every Saturday night. And uh, if you are a fan of the show and you know that we have a bit of a skewed take on things ourselves for most of the time, well, you're going to enjoy tonight's guest, uh, Peter Fenton. And we're going to talk with him coming up in just a few minutes about, uh, well, first of all, the Million Ghost March, which is something that I'm a full supporter of. And we'll get into what that's all about. And we'll talk to him about a wide-ranging topics regarding the paranormal. You can check out his website, askdocparanormal.com. It's also linked up on the front page of SpookySouthCoast.com. Is it, Matt? I haven't yep. had a chance to. All right, there you go. So, uh, And if you are also uh, wondering about next week's show, let's just uh, put it out there right now so everybody knows what's going on. We've been hinting at it for the last few weeks, but it's our big annual Bridgewater Triangle investigation show. And we've got a number of teams on board for this. I'm overwhelmed by the response of people who want to take part and help out with the show this year. Uh, we always have great investigator friends who are always willing to join us for all of our crazy adventures. Uh, but for some reason, this Bridgewater Triangle show is something everybody wants to be a part of. And so we're going to be involving everybody that wants to be involved. And if you want to get uh, in touch with me during the week, Tim at SpookySouthCoast.com. And we'll find a way to work you in. If you're an investigator that's in a group already, if you have a team ready to go out into the field, and if you're maybe somebody that wants to kind of get your feet wet, we'll see if we can find somebody that can work with you that particular night. Because not only are we going to send the teams out into the field, uh, but we're also going to be pairing groups together with other groups and investigators that they may not have worked with before. So we're kind of working on this whole paranormal unity angle, and we're using the Bridgewater Triangle as a way to help bring that together. So who knows what kind of madcap adventures are going to happen. Matt Moniz, I know that you work with a lot of different groups. Being an independent investigator, uh, you would like to, you know, if anybody calls you and asks for help, and uh, you're always willing to offer your services when you can. So you've taken a wide variety of people out into the Bridgewater Triangle, the Hockamock Swamp, the Freetown State Forest, all these sites. And 
it's kind of one of those places I'm assuming where if you're not all on the same page, you better get on the same page pretty quickly. Yeah. The triangle has a lot to offer. And, uh, a lot of these groups I've worked with before and they all bring something to the table. You know, they all may do something slightly different than each other, but they're all qualified and, uh, they all definitely have their heart and their minds in the right places. That's for sure. I think it's going to be awesome when, you know, the, the groups are planning how they're going to attack a particular investigation, a particular spot for the show. And then the other group comes, uh, comes in and they come out of left field with whole different ideas. And that's what's going to be exciting about it because, you know, obviously they're very active sites and we can talk about them each and every week. If we wanted to focus on just that, we could certainly fill up two hours a week with all the stuff that happens in there. Uh, but, it's a way to take a fresh take on it, and we know that those haunts are usually pretty good about supplying us with interesting <laughs> evidence while we send the groups out there. So, Yep. All right, so that'll be next week. Uh, we'll be, oh, and of course, the, the biggest part of the whole show, which I didn't mention, Christopher Balzano will be here in the spooky studio with myself and Matt Costa, because Matt Moniz will be leading the field teams uh, with Andrew Lake. But uh, amazing that it's only been, what, two years since we've seen the guy? Yeah. You know, so, uh, well, at least us. I mean, you get a chance to see him, uh, uh, at the Mass Monster Mash, right? So. Correct. But, uh, I haven't seen him for a while. So, you know, there'll be some tears. There'll be some hugs. There'll be some awkward moments. Matt Costa will offer to leave the room and then we'll move on. <laughs> All right. Speaking of moving on, why don't we take a break? When we come back, we will talk to tonight's guest, Peter Fenton. And, uh, we'll find out exactly what Doc Paranormal is up to tonight because, the actual Doc Paranormal was going to join us, but he, he, he got pulled away with more pressing business. So we'll talk to his representative, Peter Fenton. Again, the website is askdocparanormal.com if you want to check it out. We'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast. From the studios of AM 1420 WBSF into the night and beyond. Here's more of Spooky South Coast. You, you say one thing, he said another, and everybody changes back again. Philippians! You didn't think I'd, you, you didn't think I'd not take a chance for that. Of course I know where that's from. Sure. My favorite movie of all time. Certainly one of them. All right, future boy. Let's move on with the show. Tim Weisberg here, Silent Assassin, Matt Costa, and Science Advisor Matt Moniz along for the ride here on Spooky South Coast. And you can listen to us every Saturday night here on WBSM. You can also stream us on SpookySouthCoast.com, download the podcasts on SpookySouthCoast.com or iTunes or Zune Marketplace, wherever you get your podcasts from. And uh, now if you have a smartphone, you can even use Stitcher. Stitcher is a new service where you can put it right on your iPhone, your Palm Pre, your Android phone, or your BlackBerry. It's uh, free. And the latest episode of your favorite podcasts are always available for you. No syncing needed and no memory wasted. Downloading is easy. Just go to Stitcher.com and che- or check out the App Store for your individual mobile phone, and you'll be able to find it. So, I mean, I, I've been loving it. I've had it on my phone now for a couple of weeks, and it's outstanding. And uh, it updates every hour. So... If you have favorite shows that have new podcasts every night or every day, you'll be able to get the latest episode all the time. So, stitcher.com 
or just uh, go to Stitcher on your mobile phone browser and you'll find it. All right, well, like I said, you know, we tried to get Doc Paranormal on the show tonight from the website AskDocParanormal.com, but he's a little busy. So we have his representative, Peter Fenton, is joining us tonight. So let's bring him up on the phone. Good evening, Peter. Welcome to Spooky South Coast. Jim, how are you doing? Oh, we're spooktacular, as we say here. Yeah. And Great. So, Talk Paranormal is uh, otherwise uh, engaged tonight, I hear? Yeah, he's kind of busy, so he asked me to uh, represent him. He was uh, going to a, uh, a wet uh, t-shirt seance tonight down at a local club. and uh, That sounds pretty good. Signs, uh, yeah, uh, he gets to go to those kind of things. I, I don't. I think they were trying to attract more male... Uh, spirits to the seance or something like that so uh well that, that would definitely the, uh, wet do t-shirts yeah although some of the psychics i know i probably wouldn't want to see them in a, in a wet t-shirt <laughs> yeah so uh <laughs> and then you know it's a little easier to tell if they're moving the table when they're wearing skin tight clothes too yeah so. that, that's about it yeah so hands t- on the table <laughs> so tell us about the website askduckparanormal.com it's, it's very interesting yeah well it's something i started in uh earnest uh uh, early part of this year, uh, and uh, basically what it is is uh, people can ask Doc Paranormal uh, whatever their uh, uh, questions are on the paranormal, or write uh, write in uh, letters and uh, emails about their own experiences with all sorts of paranormal issues, anything from uh, you know they're running the whole gamut from UFOs to ghosts to ESP and so forth, and uh, then uh, what we do is. Uh, edit them down into a coherent narrative if it, uh, it gets carried on, goes on too far, and uh, come up with a site. So it's, it's basically what everybody else does, but we kind of focus on the edgier sort of stories and ones that might have a little bit of a, a humorous uh, touch to them. I, I like the fact that you're not afraid to, to kind of go there, as they say, with some of these stories, because... You know, a lot of times paranormal investigators worry so much about being taken seriously yeah. that they get a little too serious about themselves. Well, I can understand that about paranormal investigators, uh, but I'm, I'm basically, uh, I operate as a reporter. You know, I come in after the fact. I don't investigate uh, in, in my career going back before Dr. Paranormal. Uh, uh, all I've done ever done is report on, on uh, all sorts of... Uh, esoteric events of coming in after the fact. So uh, I can kind of cop an attitude about it, whereas obviously in an area that is uh, under attack as much as uh, paranormal, in the area of paranormal investigation from from uh, being attacked by skeptics, that, uh, you know, you really have to play it straight, straight and uh, play the straight and narrow because if you start to get a little humorous or edgy, people start to say, hey, you know, there are you know, they start to have doubts, or they use that as an opening to critique the, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, the work itself. I, I mean, humor is actually it's the the key to keeping yourself sane. I think. Yeah, uh, that's actually my uh, thing. Is I don't know if I'd ever want to encounter a ghost myself. You know, I don't know if I I, I would not want to be a paranormal investigator because I don't know how I could actually handle having a paranormal experience or contacting a UFO or having uh, that sort of uh, uh, encounter. So I enjoy working the field, but at a distance after and and allowing other people to have the experience because I don't know uh, if I could uh, handle it uh, psychologically if uh, I uh, had. uh, several ghost experiences uh, in a row. 
So uh, what I do is uh, just kind of take it, uh, take it uh, the humorous approach, and do it sort of as a. Uh, uh, it's a, the end result of S. Paranormal is more of a, a column and with an attitude than uh, actually breaking any sort of uh, investigations. Well, looking at some of the, the stories and, and columns yeah. that you have up on the site, uh, I'm wondering. I mean, how much of this is kind of Drudge Report? you know, reporting on these stories and pointing them out and, and kind of offering your own view, and how much of it is more like The Onion, where it's kind of, uh, it's it's taking some general concepts and kind of tweaking them and making fun out of them, because I'm looking at stories like Shocking Plan to Sex Up the Statue of Liberty, yeah. After UFO Counter, Actress Changes Sexual inter- Orientation for the Fourth Time. I right. mean, are these, are we talking like Weekly World News, where this is something that you come up with, or are these actually based in fact? Most of them are based on things that people send send in. However, uh, you know, I uh, when I work them up, I may push it a little further than uh, than they might have uh, might have been their original intent. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to give you an idea, I started my whole uh, formal uh, career uh, as a paranormal reporter uh, back 25 years ago or whatever with the National Enquirer. Wow. Now you say, hey, World Weekly News, you know, National Enquirer, a lot of people conflate the two. But uh, World Weekly News, uh, uh, they were—they actually occupied the same building as the Inquirer. Now, uh, the way I can tell you, the give you the difference between the two is that we would work, uh, you know, six, seven at night, you know, all day because we actually had to interview people. Uh, World Weekly News—it was a nine-to-five job. You know, you write your story, <laughs> five o'clock hits, and then you go because you're making it all up. But we actually interviewed people, and that's how I. Uh, uh, really got into knowing a lot of the, you know, Ed Warren and uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren, uh, Brad Steiger, all of the people beginning back in the 80s that uh, I did uh, many, many dozens of stories. And uh, that's where I actually started to uh, uh, take it seriously. But you want to have write, write the story up in an entertaining fashion. So uh, that's what I've continued even after doing The Inquirer. So I start with a nugget of truth and then uh, expand on it to make it entertaining. Some people may say that makes it, uh, and then I do run into the problem that you talk about, which is uh, unless you play it on the real straight and narrow, uh, people will say, oh, that's fake. Uh, but uh, the stuff that I work with here on the, on the site, it begins with people sending in a letter uh, I mean, an email or contact me some some way, and then I write it up in an entertaining way. Um, well, let me, a, yeah. So let me ask you this: as a, as a journalist myself, I'm I'm always been fascinated by the the Inquirer style of reporting, and I, yeah. I wonder how it works. Maybe we can break down that fourth wall a little bit. If yeah. you were assigned a story, say, all right, you said 25 years ago, so maybe one of the the happening stories in the paranormal world was. Uh, the Amityville case and and the Lutzes. Yeah. So if you were asked to interview, you know, George Lutz for a story, uh, what what would actually transpire? Would you? Well, you'd actually interview the person, you know, uh, for the story. I uh, uh, get whatever their quotes were. Now, okay, you know, so that person can be saying making up. I'm not saying George Lutz did, but I mean uh, the person you talked to can be making up it up completely. What you had to do was actually uh, verify it with another person. So I'd talk to another paranormal expert who might know something about it and uh, see if the story stood up. I couldn't publish the story without, uh, and then I would 
turn it in to the editors. They wouldn't publish it unless it had, you know, a backup to it. Uh, uh, often the person had to be associated with the. There were, I think, there were uh, two qualifications. One was the person either had have had to have published a book by a major publisher, or uh, they were university connected in some way. So, what you'd have is the person who has the experience. You know, uh, the, I have a, a ghost uh, in my garage that uh, you know uh, shorts out my uh, uh, car battery every morning or something like that. Well, it sounds interesting. Well, they can tell you the story, and uh, then I'd have to have somebody else verify that this this could actually happen. But you do write it up in an entertaining way. Yeah, I was going to say, and then yeah. from there it has to be, you know, the lead has to be about the, you know, the ghost training the battery, a scary experience. You have to have some sort of hook, some sort yeah. of sensational aspect of the story to draw people in, right. and they just happen to find some facts along the way. Yeah. Yeah, th- this might be uh, off on a little uh, tangent here, but I wrote a book uh, six or seven years ago called uh, Truth or Tabloid. And what it is is it was a book and a, and a game, and, and, and it consisted of uh, several hundred headlines written up in a sensational National Enquirer-type way. And people had to guess whether the story was actually the truth or, or whether it was a made-up tabloid fiction. So... The bottom line is half of them I made up, but other half of them were from sources like the New York Times or Wall Street Journal and so forth, where it was a legitimate straight-ahead story, but I wrote it up in a tabloid-sounding way. So people would say, oh, that's fake. It can't have really happened. But it's only because of the manner in which it was told that people would uh, guess wrong and say, oh, that's, that story is made up. Well, but gonna... it was actually uh, the truth. Like here, I have one. I got the book in front of me. You know, girl dies and fall from platform shoes. And you say, oh yeah, sure, right. You made it up. That's a National Enquirer guy made it up. But it's true. It actually happened over in Japan at the time. There was a fad for uh, girls wearing these like ten-inch high heels, and somebody actually f- tripped, fell over the off the sidewalk, uh, the curb rather, and. Uh, hit her head and uh, killed herself. Wow. So it's a basic thing that uh, that applies to the uh, work in the paranormal. You can write up, you can have the most carefully vetted story uh, you've ever done. You know, fit for the New York Times. But if I write it up in a National Enquirer story, people might, in a National Enquirer style, people might not think it's true, even though it is. I don't know if uh, that makes sense to you or not. Oh, it definitely does. Yeah. And that leads me to my question. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned the Weekly World News, which yeah. was uh, produced and uh, printed in the basement of the Inquirer, correct? No, actually, uh, I don't know where it was printed, but it was uh, written in the, uh, at, at the time, uh, it was, uh, the both were in Atlantana, Florida, right. but the which po- is near uh, Palm, or rather, uh, Palm Beach. Correct. And uh, there was a, uh, the Inquirer had one newsroom, and then on the other side of a glass wall was uh, the World Weekly News. Right. And, and that's where Ed Anger was and all these other guys. Now, are you familiar with who actually ran the Weekly World News? This was actually made public uh, about a year or a half ago, a couple of years ago. Uh, well, as far as I knew it now, uh, I only knew it up until 1997. And, up, and uh, what it was is uh, the, uh, the same guy who owned the Inquirer, a guy named Generoso Pope also owned the World Weekly News. 
uh, it was started up as a black and white uh, publication that used the old uh, National Enquirer Press. Correct. After uh, the Enquirer went color. Correct. So what, what's what's the uh, conspiracy of, part of it, though? Well, well it was made. Uh any, I can't remember the publication, but it was actually said partially run by the CIA. Oh yeah, I I didn't know a thing about that. Uh, this came out. Uh, I remember reading it in online. Actually, I believe it was Yahoo. Uh, oh. although that's a real bastion of. Uh, <laughs> I was say, yeah, was that, there's another one. Two places where you can always get guaranteed yeah. fact: the internet and the Weekly World News. Yeah, so we'll, it was we'll have a, a, a head-to-head battle between the two of them on the, for the for the truth. But uh, that's one of the things that they mentioned. They, they used the old uh, press that uh, the Enquirer used, and uh, oh. yeah, and that yeah, was I mean, in yeah, the article. That's right. So I hadn't heard the CIA part. Now there had always been rumors that this Generoso Pope, the guy who owned both right. of them, had been involved with. I think it was the precursor to the CIA. The Something right after World War Two, before you know, uh, uh, was I forget what the name of it was, but some sort of uh, secret uh, clandestine organization. Whether that was ever true or not, I don't know. But that was always the rumor about him. Well, yes, I was going to say I have a question. Yeah. Since you had that glass wall between yourselves and the Weekly World News, did you ever get to see Bat Boy? <laughs> <laughs> well, he only came out after after dark after I left. For the uh, evening, and I guess he, he came out of his lair. <laughs> he always seemed to have a great working relationship with that paper. Yeah, I know. He uh, he was a regular there. He, he uh, had a lot of uh, good stories to bring in, and I get well. He had a regular good working relationship with just about anybody uh, he wanted to, uh, from uh, from the net, the uh, World Weekly News to the president and uh, whoever was in office. He seemed to get around. Well, now, when you're developing these stories and if you're reporting on the paranormal, I mean, how much, uh, how, what kind of paranormal activity do they deem worthy of covering for a story? The National Enquirer? Yes. Um, it could be uh, just about anything. I mean, uh, any type of paranormal. I did, uh, I think I have a, since I thought we might be talking about this, I pulled out a few yellowing clips here. I got one... Uh, that I did, it was uh, uh, by, uh, the researcher was a guy named D. Scott Rogo. Did you ever? Oh, yeah, I'm quite okay. familiar with him. Mind power can splinter a table or stop a clock. Then I got another one from uh, JFK University out in Orinda, California. Seven, seven out of ten students uh, in, a, uh, in a test they did was were able to bend spoons. <laughs> That's quite a student body. That was a... <laughs> 25 to 50 people uh, that were at uh, PK, Psychokinetic Powers, uh, that were sponsored by the uh, university. So uh, they had a really powerful uh, group. And, and once again, that's not just me riffing and making it up or whatever, but I interviewed, uh, let's see, Cynthia Siegel, who conducted the survey for her graduate studies in parapsychology, and then somebody else backs it up. So it's all news reporting, but just on a, you know, on a esoteric area. And then here's one, uh, Ed Warren, mystery of the devil's hoofprint. That's uh, unexplained prints that often trace paths no living creature could have followed. And the, like here, we have one case where uh, it was uh, England. Well, this one is in. Let's see, I don't know, but it's uh, 
I think it's in Massachusetts, but anyway, it was around Christmas. Somebody kid is looking up on the roof for Santa Claus, and they see all these footprints. And it actually, they were like hoof prints, you know, cl- from cloven hooves. Right. The same kind of report happens. Is, I think that's a carryover from a report in England, actually. Where ah, happened. okay. Yeah, this one, uh, I'm looking at it. I, I can't really see where it was from. It after, I, oh, in an incredible case that occurred in England. Yeah. In the late, early 1980s. Okay, so there you go. That's the same one. Well, when I was growing up, I mean, my, my mom and my aunts, my grandmother, they, I mean, every week they got the Inquirer. Yeah. And I, uh, I'm not ashamed to say I read a cover to cover every week. Mm-hmm. And I actually got a lot of my paranormal background from there before I yeah. was, you know, able to go out and check the books out from the library, you know, because unless you have an adult library card, they weren't going to let you take those books out. Right. So I actually got a lot of my information from the Inquirer. And that's how I learned about people like Ed Warren, Ed and Lorraine Warren, and, and uh, Hans Holzer, and a lot of these other investigators who, you know, we now look to as some of the giants uh, right. in the field, but they could only get quoted in Inquirer stories at the time. That's true. Actually, uh, I don't know if there's a, I mean, it was, this was, it was actually a major organ for uh, dissemination of paranormal stuff. I mean, it sounds, sounds a, a little uh, uh, ridiculous. You want it in the New York Times, but I mean, uh, it, at, at its peak, it was, had a circulation of four or five million, uh, uh, sales of four or five million a week. That's pretty good. And uh, it would have, I would do two or three, uh, and another guy would do two or three paranormal stories a week with, you know, people who subsequently became well-known. So it was a way to get the news out there. You had to do, deal with the uh, fact that a lot of people doubt that anything in there is true. All I can say is that I, you know, reported this stuff. I didn't go out and I wasn't the, an original on-the-scene investigator, but I reported it and then would back it up. And so that's that's all I can say about it in terms of actually being on the scene and uh, determining whether it actually was going on at the time. You know, I I can't do that. Say anything about that, unlike you know uh, you guys or some, if you went out on a investigation. But uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know that that was the best I could do as a reporter. And and uh, you know I was pretty impressed with the the uh, stuff that people came up. And of course everything that. It, for everything that appeared in the National Enquirer, you know, I had ten stories that didn't make it. It's not like just, okay, let's come up with a couple this week and throw them in. You know, you had to uh, get the whole, first of all, you had, would have to get it approved as an idea to begin with, and then you have to, uh, then you're under the pressure to come up with the uh, story in a uh, and uh, get the backup person, and sometimes it takes you two or three weeks to put something together. So, uh, there was a, it's, and this is a, applies to all sorts of National Enquirer stories, not just the uh, paranormal, but it took a lot of uh, legwork, and I'd say half of the stuff in general that I started out on wound up getting spiked because you couldn't back it up. Any stories that you were told not to follow not up? Not to do? Yes. On paranormal? No, not at all. Uh, the, uh, big, I was pretty much had free reign in terms of coming up with the material that I wanted to cover, the uh, the big wigs uh, were primarily concerned with the uh, celebrity stuff and uh, big exposés, that right. sort of thing. The Bigfoot isn't going to sue you for slander. Yeah, right. And also, uh, they were concerned with you know, I mean, the the thing that uh, they felt really sold the papers were uh, uh, celebrity stories. So that was where they devoted all their energy. And when, now, 
what, did they have? I mean, uh, I don't know if it was something that you didn't work on, maybe, or, or weren't aware of. But did they have to follow the same kind of guidelines that you had to follow for the stories you were writing to write about a celebrity? The celebrity? Uh, that was a, uh, a different thing. But basically, you had to uh, have uh, somebody who knew the celebrity and uh, could talk about them, that sort of thing. As you know, if you've ever read those celebrity type stories, it's a friend told me and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. So uh, there, you didn't necessarily have to talk to the celebrity him or herself, but somebody who knew them. Beyond that, I don't know. Often I have to say is that one of the things, and, and again, my career with the inquiry ended uh, in the late 19, 1970s, no, 1990s, 1997 or so. Uh, so how they do it now, I don't know, but uh, at the time, a lot of the stories that you would see on celebrities would appear and then the celebrity would deny that it was true, but they had given you the story. <laughs> you know. Well, I, I can tell you, working in the journalism field, and we, you know, we yeah. we try to lie about it. We try to fool ourselves and, and tell ourselves that it's not a dying industry. But pretty much the only masthead that's uh, going to be keeping around for a long time after the rest of the industry folds up is the National Enquirer. <laughs> <laughs> that says something. Yeah, millions. I don't know what, but millions and millions read each week. Yeah. I believe it still has the largest circulation of any newspaper, right? I think it's actually declined a lot, and one of the reasons, actually, it's it's relevant to our conversation now is because uh, after the uh, uh, founder of the publications died, uh, Mr. Pope, uh, it was sold off to uh, a couple of uh, unleveraged buyout-type deals, uh, people who didn't really have much uh, uh, love for the uh, tabloid world but just saw it as a profit center. And they decided that the focus should be entirely on celebrity stuff with a few human interest stories. So they cut out uh, what was called the middle of the book, which was my uh, paranormal stories, uh, things of pop psychology, that sort of thing. And circulation, uh, as I mentioned, it was started out at about 4 million. I mean, it was at a peak of 4 million in the uh, 80s and 90s. And now it's maybe uh, under 1 million. So uh, what they found out, and it's uh, too late, is that a lot of people uh, uh, bought the uh, publication not for the uh, headline uh, lead uh, celebrity story, but for this all these interesting uh, tales of uh, parapsychology and uh, pop psychology, that sort of thing. The so, but they've actually suffered by cutting out paranormal. So I mean, that's that's kind of funny. Well, it's funny because. Uh, you know, now we have all these different websites, TMZ, and yeah. you know, and and people are the the celebrities themselves are posting everything up on Twitter. So right. the stories are kind of scooped before they can even get into that once a week format. Uh, but the paranormal stuff is something that people would read all the time. So many people I know are interested in the paranormal don't even realize how much they could learn about it online. Oh yeah, I, I know. I mean, it's uh, there's a lot of paranormal stuff online, and. Uh, uh, I, I'd say at the time, I don't know if there is uh, uh, anything comparable in circulation to the Inquirer that that, that uh, talks uh, takes paranormal stories as seriously as it did. I don't, I can't think of anything right now where it's uh, got four or five million uh, readers or viewers online that uh, where it's about paranormal. Well, he, I don't he, know if you guys can, but I, I think Ghost Village is the the closest uh, to come okay. to that, and they're a few million short, but yeah. He, 
Uh, a friend, a friend of ours in the chat room at SpookySouthCoast.com. And if you want to go into the chat room during the course of the show, just go to SpookySouthCoast.com, click on the chat button, it'll bring you into the chat room there. But a friend of ours uh, said his favorite Inquirer headline is Psychic Cures VD by Phone. I was wondering if that was one of yours. No, I never, uh, I'm not familiar with that one. Well, it, uh, it certainly no, sounds like I hope like with a, the Inquirer, often people, again, confuse the Inquirer with the... Uh, the Globe or the Examiner or the World Weekly News or the, the Sun. So uh, the first thing I'd want to do as a reporter is verify whether it actually came from the Inquirer or one of the other ones. And if there is a psychic that can cure a VD by phone, the numbers are 508-996-0500, 1-877-996-1420 if you want to call in. Uh, we have about eight minutes left until the news break. But one of the things I want to talk to you about, uh, Pete, is the Million Ghost March. Yeah. And that's coming up uh, in Las Vegas, July 8th through the 11th right. at the South Point Hotel and Casino. So tell us about the Million Ghost March. Well, what is the Million Ghost March, actually what's coming up uh, in uh, July 8th through 11th is something called the Amazing Meeting, which is a big annual uh, uh, convention of uh, skeptics, particularly the James Randi Educational Foundation. Are you familiar with that? Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so uh, uh, I don't know if everybody, uh, all of your listeners know, but James Randi is a uh, former magician, I think he's in his mid-80s now, who uh, decided after uh, he couldn't, uh, uh, I don't know if his income stream from actual magic was slowing down, but he decided to make a career out of uh, being a skeptic of paranormal events. And he's uh, gathered around him a bunch of uh, uh scientists or pseudoscientists and uh, who think that uh, by uh, being uh, snarky about uh, paranormal stuff, they somehow, that elevates them to a noble, noble prize material in, uh, in their respective fields. Uh, so, uh, you know, after years of uh, people in the paranormal business, you know, taking a hit from these guys all the time, I thought it was time to turn the tables and let's have a protest uh, of them that kind of would expose expose them. So that's what the Million Ghost March is. It's a, uh, I, what we're doing is inviting, uh, you know, clairvoyants, mediums, psychics, and ordinary people around the world to contact spirits and ask them to participate in this uh, Million Ghost March uh, in protest of the uh, uh, Amazing Meeting Convention in uh, Las Vegas, uh, July 8th through 11th. Now, that doesn't mean... People have to say, I want all the ghosts, uh, you know, uh, if they talk to a, uh, a spirit, that uh, you, they have to tell the spirit, well, you got to be in uh, Las Vegas. The protest uh, can be uh, uh, done in place by the, uh, the ghost or spirit. In other words, as you know, most ghosts or spirit are, are tied to a particular place, and, you know, so we're not going to ask them to try to leave. So, and it's basically just... Get people to contact the spirits, ask the spirits to stage a protest, uh, and it's just a way to turn the table on, tables on these people uh, to kind of uh, defy their sort of uh, uh, insatiable need for logical answers to everything because everything doesn't have a logical answer. And uh, that's why we're having it. It's to kind of raise awareness that uh, uh, skeptics don't have the only... Uh, the, the, uh, uh, hold on the uh, the truth and what's really going on in the world. There's a lot of different ways that uh, events can be uh, uh, interpreted 
and there's a lot of things that happen, as you well know, that are inexplicable. True. That that really can't be uh, put on the dissecting table under a microscope by uh, scientists, and uh, then where they can come up with a definitive answer in terms of what's happening. Much of what goes on in the world is is a big mystery, and probably will always be, no matter how. Uh, advanced we become in the, in the sciences. So it's just simply a way to say, you know, you guys don't have all the an- only answer, and, and we can be uh, snarky, too, and kind of thumb our noses at, at you guys. Well, Peter, mm. uh, as a scientist, I can say that uh, they've hijacked the name skeptic. Okay. Yeah. They are not skeptics. As a scientist, and I've been studying the paranormal 25 years. Right. And I am skeptical of a lot of claims until I investigate it. These people are not skeptics. These right. people are different. They are what's known as cynics. Mm-hmm. A cynic doesn't allow the possibility. Right. Oh, yeah. I entirely ag- uh, agree. I mean, that, that's, that's a whole other issue, the word, use of the word uh, skeptic. They... Uh, as you say, have, have hijacked it to their own uh, ends, which are primarily to, uh, in my opinion anyway, to keep Amazing Randy and, and uh, his friends uh, uh, going on in, in their uh, post-showbiz uh, careers. In fact, I'm looking at the James Randy site right now, and they actually have a, if you're a member uh, of their group, you can actually get a Visa card, uh, and this is pretty horrifying uh, uh, thought with uh, James Randi's uh, uh, faces on it. <laughs> <laughs> Does it have a million dollar credit line? Yeah, right. <laughs> or your money bet. Yeah, right. If you can uh, prove there, uh, there's no uh, UFOs or whatever is uh, is a million dollar bet is there. Hey, and hey, so, I was going to say every year, you know, the, the, we we hear stories here about people trying to take the challenge and. Yeah. I'm sorry to say, I just ignore them now because... Well, the th- challenge has been, you know, uh, sorry to interrupt you here, sure. Tim, but yeah. I, I've actually looked at it and I've had other people say, it's been reviewed by other scientists, and that challenge is scientifically skewed not mm. to be able to be passed. Ah. Okay? Yeah. The, I work in the pharmaceutical industry, okay? okay? I work helping developing new pharmaceuticals for development and uh, for use on the market. The tolerances for their test, is 10 times more stringent than what we use to put pharmaceuticals on the market. Mm. Okay? Their, uh, their tolerances are more more stringent than NASA uses to put a space probe out, yeah. although given NASA's track record. <laughs> but but you get my point. Yeah. The, the, the amount of uh, tolerance they're looking for does not really exist. It's non-existent. It, it mm-hmm. can't be done. Yeah. In fact, I really don't know what this whole, uh, oops, that's a cat, <laughs> not a spirit. Uh, I think they actually make a mockery of true, true scientific uh, inquiry here with a, I mean, just by, by posing their, this as a science-based group. I mean, just look at some of the people here that are going to be appearing at their uh, convention. You have a, a John Lennon impersonator, comedian and magician Mac King, a junior skeptic, what is that, like an eight-year-old or whatever they've <laughs> brainwashed into <laughs> doctrinaire skepticism. And the number of truly, and then, you know, the usual pen and teller who show up every year, and the number of really actual scientists. Here's a guy from The Daily Show, John Stewart Show. Now, he might be interesting, uh, but I don't know what he can tell you about anything uh, 
science. Oh, he's going to get up and do a routine, basically. Yeah, he's going to get up and do a routine. They have some people, you know, Richard Dawkins, the, the guy who wrote God Delusion. You know, I mean, that he would be somebody I'd love to hear, but a lot of the other stuff is just, it's hokum. Well, you know, it's like uh, amazing, uh, it's like entertainment from a, the uh, amazing Randy's uh, heyday as a magician. Well, we got to take a break here for the news, but when we come back, I want to talk about some of the expected celebrities at the Million Ghost March. Good enough. So we'll do that in just a little bit. We're going to take a break for the news. Then we'll do our news, The Week in Weird. We'll be back in a moment here on Spooky South Coast. First. Quite an experience to live in fear, isn't it? This me happening, man. This is me happening. Spooky South I'm not afraid. Look, I know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen. Welcome back. Hour number two of Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Casa, and science advisor, Matt Moniz, who is here with us this week, but he'll be out in the field next week leading the Bridgewater Triangle slash Freetown State Forest slash Hockamock Swamp slash whatever place we can get all you crazy freaks to go into for us during the course of next week's show when we do our annual bridgewater triangle investigation program and uh, we're so excited chris balzano is going to be here in the studio which the only reason he's coming up here is because i owe him money <laughs> so he's uh he's coming up to collect and we figured while he's here we'll we'll uh, do the show as well so now uh, the uh and speaking of chris balzano money power relations it's it's still around so if you need us just let us know we're here chris is definitely here and, and willing to help you. Me, I, I, I gotta get my book finished. I feel like Chris, <laughs> you know, like, all of a sudden I'm hitting a deadline. I'm like, I can't talk. I gotta actually write stuff. So I know how it feels, guys. All right. Well, we are, uh, we are talking with our guest, Peter Fenton. We'll get back into that discussion in just a little bit. And I, I can tell you, I, I mean, I'm fascinated by the discussion we've already had in the first hour because I always wondered, you know, the journalistic standards of the National Enquirer, how it worked because they had all those paranormal stories. Journalistic standards. Hmm. Well, they, they had yeah, them. Yeah, they and did, we, actually. We, we found out. So that just makes me even more of a fan of all those paranormal stories that I read back in those days because knowing what kind of verification they had to go through to get those stories printed. Now I know that it wasn't just somebody sitting there typing up a story and getting Brad Saget to agree with it just to get a little promotion. It was actually journalism. And so that, I feel a lot stronger now about my basis of the paranormal growing up. And, uh, you know, if you want to share a story, you know, you don't have to send it to the National Enquirer. You can always just email us anytime, spookycrew at spookysouthcoast.com. And uh, you can also get a hold of us now on Stitcher. 
through your iPhone, your Palm, your Android phone, your BlackBerry. You can uh, check out Stitcher there, and you'll get all the latest podcasts. You can favorite us, and thank you to everybody who's done that so far. It's even easier than going on iTunes and Zoom Marketplace and hooking up your MP3 player and downloading the show. It's automatic. Uh, it updates every hour, so whenever there's a new show up there, you'll be able to just get it and stream it right on your phone over the uh, Stitcher app. So, very excited. There's, there's actually some live streaming breaking ground for the Palm uh, as well. we got to kind of get our feed reworked, but hopefully we'll be joining that as well. So, uh, I don't know. It's been, uh, it's been an interesting week. There's been a lot going on. Kevin Costner apparently saved the world, by the way. I don't know if you've heard this. Kevin. Well, his brother. Yeah, well, Kevin Costner's taking the credit for it. And, uh, you know, if, if there's two things that Kevin Costner is going to leave us uh, for the rest of his life, if one is dancing with wolves and the other is cleaning up the oil spill, that's good enough. Uh, we'll forgive you for all that other. I'll forgive you for having to listen to the Bodyguard soundtrack every day for <laughs> two years. Right, but uh, anyway, so, you know, congratulations to Kevin Costner. Now, let's get a little weird. More bad news. Well, I got a great show for you today, which is wonderful. Weird stuff. I feel, I feel so very weird. The Week in Weird. All right, our first story comes from David Moy, AOL News contributor. June 18th marked the 68th anniversary of Paul McCartney's birth, if he had lived. Yeah, that's right, if he had lived. Because while that old Paul is dead, urban legend is supposedly killed when McCartney himself did a news conference in 1969, announcing that the rumors of his death have been greatly exaggerated, an upcoming new documentary is hoping to exhume it with the alleged help of George Harrison. The death-oriented documentary is called Paul McCartney Really Is Dead?, the Last Testament of George Harrison, and it reviews all the old clues that supposedly were embedded in Beatles records. And, of course, we've talked about that at great length with guests uh, like our Gary Patterson in the past uh, and uh, Jonas Goda as well. So you can check out those shows if you want to find out more about the Beatles' death clues. Documentary director Joe Gilbert claims the recordings made by Harrison were sent anonymously from London and arrived at the office of his production company, uh, which normally specializes in Bob Dylan documentaries, on July 5th, 2005, three and a half years after Harrison died. Why was Gilbert's company lucky enough to get what might be the biggest revelation in rock history? Uh, he thinks it's because of the reputation for the Dylan documentaries. But there's little in the film that hasn't been discussed at Beatles conventions or bong shops for 40 years. There are two things that make the documentary unique. First, it is narrated by a person with a Liverpudlian accent claiming to be Harrison, who supposedly recorded the confession on December 30th, 1999, days after the real Harrison was assaulted in his home outside London by an intruder. Second, the person claiming to be Harrison suggests that McCartney's future ex-wife, Heather Mills, inadvertently caused the singer's death on the morning of November 9th, 1966, which of course is alluded to in the song She's Leaving Home, Wednesday morning at 5 o'clock as the day begins. Are you confused? Well, especially since Mills was born in January of 1968, 14 months after her future ex-husband allegedly, quote, blew his mind out in a car. Well, Gilbert is willing to ride the fine line between objectivity and advocacy, uh, he says, there are hundreds of little clues, and even if you believe Paul is alive, the film is a fun romp through Beatles history. So how was Mills allegedly responsible for McCartney's death if she wasn't born yet? All right, get this. This is what the uh, the Harrison narrator is claiming. On November 9, 1966, McCartney left a Beatles recording session angry at John Lennon. Driving home, he picked up a woman walking in the rain whose name was Rita. 
as in Lovely Rita. When the woman recognized the driver was a famous Beatle, she went nuts, started hugging him, distracting him to the point where the car crashed into a truck. Then, this Harrison voice claims that the three surviving Beatles were called to the scene by a member of MI5, the British equivalent of the CIA. Uh, his codename was Maxwell. He said that the death of a Beatle might cause a rash of suicides around the world, and he threatened Lennon, Harrison, and Ringo Starr with death unless they agreed to keep McCartney's death a secret and use the services of William Campbell, the winner of a McCartney lookalike contest, as his replacement. The right-handed Campbell was given lessons on playing the bass guitar left-handed and copious amounts of plastic surgery to make his resemblance even closer to McCartney's. Meanwhile, Rita was also given plastic surgery and a name change to Heather Mills. According to the documentary, she jumped out of sight until 1993 when she contacted the allegedly fake McCartney and threatened to reveal the secret unless the singer married her. Then the documentary claims she was hit by a police motorcycle a few days later and lost her leg six inches below the knee. So, there you go. It's all solved. Heather Mills. But who is the walrus? The walrus is Paul. Oh. You can pick it up at Amazon.com or rgarypatterson.com. And also at the store at SpookySouthCoast.com, which we should do all your shopping there. Even if you need to buy milk, go there. <laughs> get it. We need the help. All right, Matt Costa, what do you have for all us? All right. A Russian town is to ban satanic heavy metal music. No! Officials in uh, Bologrod, a town 400 miles south of Moscow, has written to local cafes, clubs, and restaurant owners own- asking them to refuse to host heavy metal concerts. No Justin Bieber? No Bieber. Well, I think it would only Bieber. Uh, I am not familiar with such music myself, but we have been we have been asked to head off a, head off any satanic activity. A local official, Vladimir uh, Shatolin, had said, "The parents of of youngsters who attended such concerts would never forgive us for allowing the performances of." people interested in satanic ideology added another official he cited recommendations from an infamous Soviet era psychiatrist hospital psychiatric hospital that said heavy heavy metal music had an ideological destructive effect on young people some local club owners appeared unlikely to comply one of them told the, the same newspaper he planned to hold a number of rock events in the near future and that any official who tried to interfere would get a punch in the face. Um, a punch right in the face. A lead singer of... <laughs> I must break you. If he died, he died. <laughs> the, the, a lead singer of a local rock group. So the cam- campaign reminded him of the worst aspects of the Soviet system. When Communist Party officials sought to tighten control of the kind of music people would listen to and dance to in public. Balarog... Belagrog, yeah, has previously introduced fines for public swearing, restricting the number of people in the town's dance floors, and for waging a campaign against Valentine's Day. This guy sounds like a party animal. Yep. So they want to ban satanic heavy metal in Russia. Isn't that like the only place where it still sells? That's what I think. Isn't that like the Monsters of Rock tour? Yeah, Japan too, yeah. Oh, man. Moniz, what are you going to do, man? Weren't you going to retire to Russia someday and work as a roadie for all those bands? Duh. <laughs> all right, what do you have for us? <laughs> okay, uh, this is from Routers in Berlin. A German student created a traffic jam in Bavaria after making 
rude gestures at a group of Hells Angels motorcycle gang members, hurling a puppy at them, and then escaping on a stolen bulldozer. German police said on Monday that after making his getaway from the Hells Angels Club, the 26-year-old dumped the bulldozer, causing a three-mile-long traffic jam near the southern town of Alschwersen, <laughs> local police said. He then fled to his home nearby where he was apprehended by the police. What motivated him to throw a puppy at the Hells Angels is currently unclear said a spokesman for the local police, adding that the student had lately been suffering from depression. The puppy is now in safe hands, said the spokeswoman. You know, yeah. we're not too bright. We've been around a lot, of, a lot of Hells Angels in our time. I'm closely affiliated with the Cape Cod chapter, yeah. And I, I can honestly say I've never seen anybody throw a puppy at them. And I'm not sure how they would react if that did actually happen. Um, knowing the guys that I know from all the various chapters, uh, it, they would not take it too lightly. They like animal they would not like animal abuse. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. yeah. And also, wait, just just go back a minute. Go okay. back to that part of the story. After he threw the puppy, he got away on a stolen bulldozer. Yeah. Obviously, these guys were on foot, but even still, I think they That's were more concerned with taking care of the puppy than you know. If that, you, that's stupid. <laughs> that might be one of the weirdest stories. This that guy knew how to drive a bulldozer. That's even more amazing. Here's the other question: Where did he get the puppy? And <laughs> what kind of arm did he have? I mean, it must have been a small puppy to throw a puppy. He just had a bag of puppies and it's sitting in a bulldozer. <laughs> Are you ready for food? Are you psyched? <laughs> Remember that? All right. <laughs> that does it for the week and weird, and I can't get any weirder than that tonight. If you have a story you'd like to contribute to the Week in Weird, just go to SpookySouthCoast.com, click on the uh, forum thread at the top of the page, go to the Week in Weird thread, and just drop the story or a link to it in there. And if we use it on the show, you'll get a Spooky South Coast bumper sticker while supplies last. And uh, we want to take a second here before we break here, uh, get ready for the next segment. Happy birthday to Megan. She's 12 years old. She's probably listening to Fun 107, but in case this is the station they actually did intend to ask for that birthday wish from happy birthday to Megan hopefully a spooky South Coast listener for a long time to come alright we'll take a break when we come back more with Peter Fenton check out the website askdocparanormal.com we're going to talk more about the Million Ghost March and we're going to find out about the Edgar Allan Poe Community College coming up in just a few minutes here on Spooky South Coast to Spooky South Coast, Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa, science advisor, Matt Moniz, talking the paranormal each and every Saturday night. And if you want to join in the discussion, the chat room is open and running on SpookySouthCoast.com. Normally our friend Craig is in there, but he's uh, he's out of town tonight. So we have an Eagle's Angel holding down the fort. Uh, say hello to Pufferella as well. And I know that uh, Standing Stones, and he's been using some different names because keep, people keep getting... Bouncing in and out of the chat room there. And Spooky Matt C is in there. I wonder who that is. <laughs> He's a cool guy. All right, and if you want to call in, again, the number is 508 996 500 
1-877-996-1420. And if you didn't have a pen handy or if you got the numbers, right on the front page of SpookySouthCoast.com as well. And that's also where you find a link to AskDocParanormal.com, which is the website that we're talking about tonight with Peter Fenton. And uh, we are discussing, before the break, we were talking about the Million Ghost March. And what I like about this is that it's uh, a way for every spirit to come together, regardless of race or creed or belief system, and they can all stand up against the skeptics. That's about it, yeah. That's, that's my feeling entirely. So you've already had some pretty good turnouts for the, the one that you had in 2008. Uh, some pretty big names attended that Million Ghost March. Yeah, yeah, we had, uh, that was kind of a, uh, that was, the convention again was in Las Vegas that time and we had, uh, 870,000 ghosts. We wanted to get a million. It was the first one they ever did. So we only wound up with, uh, 870,000. But, uh, we had some, uh, 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 big name celebrity ghosts that were reported to us. I wasn't there, but people who were on the streets said they sensed the presence of these people. One was a, uh, the guy, uh, Bugsy Siegel, who was one of the uh, guys who helped found, uh, 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 Las Vegas, and then he was, uh, I guess he, I think he got shot through uh, when he was living, sitting in his mansion in uh, Las Vegas, Los uh, Angeles, and then uh, entered, uh, George Raft, who was a crime uh, movie star and uh, hung out in Las Vegas, and of course Liberace, who was a staple out there, the Rat Pack, and even Hunter Thompson uh, showed up, uh, you know, the guy who authored uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, so uh, pretty uh, good uh bunch of uh, luminaries there. I'd say a lot uh, more star, star power to the ghosts than there were at the uh, Skeptics Convention. Well, I think part of the problem, though, is uh, maybe you didn't get a million that particular weekend because that was the same weekend Celine Dion opened up in Vegas. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot of uh, the old crowd, the uh, beyond the uh, pale crowd was, uh, was uh, attracted to her. Now, uh, one reason we didn't is because... Uh, we were asking all the ghosts to go to Las Vegas, and that's something I'm uh, rectifying this time by saying people can uh, contact the spirit and they, they can uh, do their own protest wherever they live. Yeah, it works like because like, we know Lizzie Borden pretty well, and uh, she's, yeah. she's kind of busy over there at the Lizzie Borden Bed and Breakfast, and she probably can't just get up and, and go to Vegas. So Right, yeah. Well, I hope, uh, you know, uh, I don't want to... She's a very important, important uh, in the spirit world, and I wouldn't want to... Uh, ask her to uh, uh, step out of her uh, usual routine for, for this, but uh, uh, I hope she'll uh, send us her best wishes anyway. And there's there's uh, plenty of uh, new celebrities that can attend this year as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a, I guess you could call it a, a fresh crop on the other side. You know, Michael Jackson, in fact, uh, one of the uh, people from Edgar Allan Poe Community College has already uh, done a story on him. Uh, he's having some trouble up in... Uh, on the other side, they don't want him, and uh, there are some people who are not happy that he's up in heaven and want to uh, get rid of him. They're kind of harassing him in, in heaven. Then Ronnie James Dio, you know, and Brittany Murphy. These are the people who have been invited. I don't know if they're going to show up, but uh, we've asked for them to show up in any any other luminary or just uh, uh, ordinary uh, run-of-the-mill ghost. Well, what's going on with Michael Jackson in heaven there? You alluded to the story, but for what reason wouldn't they want him up there? Well, uh, you know, they didn't get into detail, but I think it has to, something to do with his uh, his uh, past in 
some of the things he did here on Earth, they don't know if he actually has a legitimate reason to be in uh, heaven, that he should be perhaps uh, in uh, some other place on the other side, other than heaven. and uh, Like Detroit? <laughs> uh, I think that's even worse. You know, that's, that's sort of the uh, beyond hell. That's where, that might have been where Ronnie James Dio had to go. Yeah. I actually I went to school in Detroit, in college in Detroit, so uh, I'm pretty, pretty uh, aware of how hellish that is. But uh, what it is is basically there's a, a small group of protesters up in heaven. This is reported by uh, one of the people involved with Edgar Allan Poe Community College. I, I didn't report this story, but he says that there's a small group of protesters up there have been harassing Michael Jackson ever since he surprised them, uh, surprised them by coming up. Did they name these protesters? Uh, no. No, it's just the, uh, what it is is our, the contact, the person who contacted the person on the other side said that there is a small group of protesters. These are primarily people who were, uh, uh, youthful ghosts who uh, lived exemplary lives, you know, before they, uh, passed away by diving off the stage at a Pearl Jam concert or, uh, <laughs> spearing the earth, you know, in a tragic skateboard fall or something like that. And so they're they're not happy. I guess it may, it might be kind of a cultural thing from their point of view, but uh, they don't want him up there, and uh, they feel like he uh, cut a shady deal to get into heaven. You know, they're not happy campers about it, and they uh, they feel they did the right thing when they were alive. And Jackson pulled a few strings to get up there. Well, my, I was going to say my sources are telling me here that one of the leading protesters is John Merrick, and he wants to know why Michael just couldn't let his bones be. <laughs> Yeah, uh, uh, he might have something to do with it. Uh, I don't know whether uh, he's uh, instrumental in this thing or not. I, I, the only ones I heard about were the young ones. Well, you know, you mentioned Edgar Allan Poe Community College, yeah. and that, that's something I'd like to talk about because it, it seems like the kind of place where I can go and 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 learn and be a free thinker amongst other free thinkers. Yeah. Well, there's a. It, it actually has two aspects to it. One is a, an online presence on uh, Facebook. There's an Edgar Allan Poe Community College, a little thing that they've uh, started up. And then uh, there is the ex, the actual uh, physical uh, or reportedly physical uh, presence of it in uh, a town called Pahrump, uh Nevada, which is uh, west of uh, Las Vegas, uh, between the Death between Death Valley and uh, the Nevada Proving Grounds, which is where they had about 900 uh, nuclear explosions during the uh, heyday of the uh, nuclear bombs. So it's a real uh, garden spot. It's, it's also where it's Art what's Bell known uh, as, lives. It's known as the Holly Desert. Yeah, and where I, I, Art Bell lives there, too. So, uh, But anyway, uh, what it was is, a, uh, and this is uh, Doc Paranormal, the uh, alter ego that I uh, work with sometimes is uh, he says he was in a routine seance uh, a few months ago and a spirit claiming to be Edgar Allan Poe asked him to form the community college in his name. You know, it was a gathering place for strange and unusual stories, opinion, and most of all, strange people. You know, and then after he performed due diligence to confirm that he had indeed uh, spoken to Edgar Allan Poe's ghost, he uh, started the college. Was this due diligence a seance, or was well, it was during a seance, and then I guess he just confirmed it with other people on the other other side that this was indeed the spirit of Edgar Allan Poe, who wanted a uh, 
community uh, 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 sort of a, this is a basically a blue collar paranormal trade school. It's not a snooty, uh, you know, a Harry Potter type of facility. This is for people who will, would be in the uh, 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 sort of the lesser positions in in the paranormal business. I mean, a, like an assistant to a person who's doing a séance, that sort of thing. It's the same sort of position somebody, other people who go to a community college might might fulfill in their uh, lines of work. So are you saying that a lot of the advertising then for Edgar Allan Poe Community College probably comes on like around, you know, late af- late morning, early afternoon, like during divorce court? <laughs> right, yeah. It's, I think they're in big uh, competition with, uh, I don't know if you have it here, but there's one called Evergreen College, and then, of course, uh, the great Phoenix University. Ah. And... Uh, uh, th- that sort of uh, level of uh, academic institution, but uh, anyway, it's an online university. Anybody can join and then meet other people who have like-minded interests in just un- unusual sorts of things. And uh, and uh, there's a uh, actual, and then there's a whole list of faculty members uh, that Doc Paranormal has assembled with various uh, and uh, paranormal uh, specialties. Um, it does seem to be quite the roster. I mean, are these all yeah. alter egos of Doc Paranormal as well, or? Yeah, well, these are. Uh, yeah, Doc Paranormal. It's not my alter egos, but I, I and I don't know really how he came to know them. But they're pretty. Uh, it's a pretty diverse and uh, colorful crew. For example, I don't know if uh, Doc Paranormal himself, you know, going from their uh, manifest is uh, was a guy. He actually was diagnosed with this rare thing called a bipolar IQ. Where it can range from like 34 to 171 in uh, within uh, minutes. You know, in other words, one minute he's, he can be drooling, and the next thing he's uh, solving complex equations and writing his first symphony and all that sort of thing. He's the only person on record to have both flunked out and become a valedictorian of his high school in the same year. That sounds like a guy I know. Yeah. <laughs> in my life here. Yeah. But it says uh, today, uh, uh, you know, at the age of 16, he was the first student ever to repeat first grade and be accepted to Harvard. But now he's kind of his IQ is stabilized, kind of between 98 and 105, which is uh, 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 they, uh, the, according to the uh, document here, it's a it's a level appropriate to his current status as a journalist and community college professor. And I don't, I guess you and I might take ex- exception to that mm. in terms of having the uh, uh, sub uh, sub 100 IQ of, uh, uh, that's uh, apparently uh, commonly uh, associated with journalists, but. Um, Anyway, so he's sort of the head guy there, and uh, he's got to assemble a number of other people with, uh, you know, one person who's into prophecy, another one who's uh, afterlife issues, uh, dream interpretation, and a person who specializes in horror and science fiction movies, and they all either uh, follow cases that people uh, bring in or they will write uh, opinions on various subjects. And there definitely seems to be something for everyone. There's even an invisible best friend if you need one. Yeah. Yeah, he's actually, uh, he's all things to all people. Uh, he, uh, which I, I guess is what an invisible best best friend should be. Uh, you know, he's the most popular best friends for three uh, uh, consecutive semesters there by his, uh, voted by his fellow students. So uh, he'll help you plot, plot revenge or help you... Uh, Make new friends, that sort of thing. So, uh, with the, the school skill of a natural-born uh, sociopath, so he's got some uh, 
some talents there. Then we have another, there's another character, a, a guy named Andy, Andre Drupie, Dupree, who, uh, is associated with the university and yet he, uh, got his start running something called the Romanian Werewolf Bus Tours, where, uh, sightseers can observe werewolves in their natural Transylvanian habit, habitat. And uh, I don't know if you and I could get on it, but uh, apparently if you have enough money, you can do any, just about anything. So anyway, so that's basically uh, it with uh, Edgar Allan Poe Community College. It's sort of the uh, gathering place for all of these uh, uh, various uh, people who specialize in various uh, paranormal areas and anybody else who uh, wants to can uh, sign up for it on Facebook or just follow it through the uh, Ask Doc Paranormal website. So it, it sounds like the website, it's, it sounds like there's a couple of things going on here. You're getting, yeah. you're getting an awful lot of uh, insight from different perspectives and, and a chance to see some different approaches, beliefs, techniques, things like that. And then uh, on the other hand, it seems like there's not an awful lot of room left in your head either. seems like things are pretty crowded up there, Peter. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, when you got a community college in your head uh, <laughs> with a few thousand students, it, it does take up a lot of space. Uh, excellent. Professor Emeritus. Yeah. I think I might, <laughs> might do a little drilling or something. You know, that, uh, yeah, I don't know, know if that's a, a lobotomy would help create a little more uh, room up there. But uh, It's not a lobotomy. It's <laughs> adding a wing on to the community college. It's a satellite campus. Yeah. That's what it is. Right, yeah. We have a call here on the line for you. Good evening. You are on Spooky South Coast with Peter Fenton. How are you doing? Hi, how you doing, guys? Oh, we're spectacular. Uh, really, really subversive ghost haunting Michael Jackson in heaven. <laughs> that sounds like heaven to me. I thought I was blazed. <laughs> well, we're we're having a, a tongue firmly planted in cheek kind of night here. Well, subversive ghosts. Okay, it sounds like Fox News is kind of crazy stuff. It's like an oxymoron. <laughs> okay, could be worse. Oh, he must be rolling in his grave, spinning like a top. Who's that? And the Alan Poe. <laughs> I'm sure he's. I'm sure he's very proud of the community college founder in the same. Oh, I'm sure, like that, that. I'm sure that he is. I just like um, would rather read his writings. He had, you know, come on, Edgar Allan Poe. It's like he's done many times all his writing style and just like uh, always being closed in his monsters all inside. I, I mean, I like Edgar Allan Poe. I have his works. I have a book of his works a lot. But I don't know. Ghosts and you know. Subversive ghosts and heaven haunting Michael Jackson. I mean, who told you that? That's just crazy. That's like, you know, I thought I got chiefed up tonight, but I'm telling you what. It's like, um, this is just insane. And that's all. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. I'm guessing, Pete, that that's probably not the first time that you've heard that oh, yeah. one about. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just uh, the, the odd thing is just the very idea, as you, as you well know, just the very idea of saying there are are such things as ghosts mm -hmm. uh, is enough to put people on, a, on the same kind of rant with you if you say that, suggest that. So uh, it's just all a matter of uh, perspective. Well, not not being an investigator and being a journalist yeah. and being somebody who has a bit of an outside perspective on this, do you see the paranormal as becoming uh, something that's more accepted? And we're seeing all these mainstream television shows and you know we're seeing all these movies coming out uh, are we seeing this gradually becoming still a little niche part of society, but at least a more accepted part? Yeah, uh, you're, I don't know if you're you're probably aware that there was this big uh, splashy article in the Washington Post uh, this weekend mm -hmm. about the ghost uh, 
you know, the boom in the ghost TV shows and interest in it. And I, I think it really is. And I think it's uh, simply, uh, I think it's symptomatic of, of uh, uh, you know, the problems that we're having in society where the, the uh, institutions that we used to depend on for all the answers are, aren't uh, working. Either uh, they're impermanently uh, injured or they're not, uh, they're uh, temporarily in, in trouble. And so people are searching for other answers. Uh, that aren't traditional religion, and we know there's been a lot of problems with some, you know, the uh, major uh, Catholic, I mean, the uh, uh, Christian uh, uh, churches uh, in terms of uh, uh, doubts about their authority and doubts about the institutions that we have uh, in uh, about government, and then also uh, uh, big business isn't exactly seen on, seen as on uh, the side of the worker. Right now, so a lot of people are in, in, in doubt, and I think that's one reason why people are seeking out other, um, what you could call answers or other perspectives on the world in terms of what's what's going on. So uh, I don't know if you could say that there's a sociological sort of base basis for that, the growth in it, but uh, uh, I, I kind of think so that uh, when things start to break down in society, people look for uh, other other uh, answers about stuff. Just for example, in the uh, uh, 1950s, uh, the big thing there was, uh, as you know, uh, UFOs, and that was uh, where people started seeing a lot of UFOs. And that was at a time when uh, there was all this uh, new uh, technology in, t- in terms of uh, atom bombs and so forth, where people were uh, very worried about uh, kind of a what was uh, going to happen to them. So I don't know if you agree with that. If, no, uh, I definitely yeah. you, you had mentioned the the, uh, the state of the economy, and that's yeah. something I was thinking about uh, earlier this week, is a lot of paranormal investigators that we talk to, uh, a lot of people who are into this field and, and trying to do research on their own, are complaining, you know, the way the economy is, they can't really go out and buy the scientific equipment that they're yeah. seeing on these television shows because they just can't afford to, to drop that kind of money on something right. that may or may not be valuable. Uh, but what I've been thinking about is how that kind of forces people to go back to a more organic approach right. to investigating the paranormal. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, do you really, really need that stuff? I mean, uh, to uh, conduct a seance. What do you need? I mean, you don't need all the machinery. Uh, I think that uh, the TV shows are somewhat misleading in that regard because what they do is make people think that you need the machinery where as uh, it might be something that just looks better on TV. You know, it's, it's great to have the uh, all the bells and whistles of, of, of uh, these tools on television, yet people have been in contact with ghosts long before these sort of things were uh, created. I mean, you go back to the whole spiritualist movement. I mean, there was uh, none of the, uh, none of the, uh, you know, you didn't have uh, tape recorders and all that sort of thing at that time. So I think, you know, it's it's uh, contact with uh, uh, other things on the other side with spirits uh, is uh, something that you can do very much on your own without spending a cent. See, I, I got really excited with this uh you know, this big in, infusion of technology into the paranormal field yeah. and, and the fact that so much of it was uh, kind of readily available to the common person or, or ways to adapt 
you know, other technology to use for this field, I got very excited because I was like, you know, all right, now that we can show uh, skeptics and we can show people that there is some degree of proof that this exists, there is some bit of evidence that we can show you scientifically here, I thought that was going to make all the difference in the world. And yeah. Since it really hasn't, then I don't see why people should be going out and spending thousands of right. dollars on this stuff. Yeah. Well, as a scientist, let me chime in here. you got the two different camps, one going out for excitement and experiment, and the other one, like I said, is for experimentation. The people going out for excitement are there to be entertained. There are the people that are going out with the equipment for documentation for experimentation. That's the two different camps. That's why you see some people going out with the psychics or just going out with nothing. The other people going out with the equipment are there for documentation. Different types, different types of reasons, different results. Oh, we, we talk frequently about the legend trippers and the thrill seekers and people who are just in it for the, the thrill of the chill. Yeah, I think uh, uh, it's uh, correct that, you know, if you want to document stuff, you may need the equipment. But if you just want to have the experience of interacting, you don't have to have it. It's something that you, uh, uh, in a time of economic uh, trouble, you can do for nothing. You know, it's it's the one sort of a uh, hobby or interest that you can get involved in that that is uh, entirely uh, free. It's just a matter of basically being open to the experience. I mean, and that's probably the most valuable thing you can take away from this is it can open your mind up to things that, it might have been closed to before. Maybe it makes you more of a, a free thinker, somebody who would be interested in learning from Edgar Allan Poe Community College. Yeah, I, I think that uh, the whole idea is, is uh, ultimately is to uh, uh, you know keep your heart and your mind open to all sorts of things. I don't think you should be a doctrinaire uh, uh, believer in the, everything paranormal, and I don't think you should. And uh, conversely, you shouldn't disbelieve all of it either. Uh, openness is, is the key, and uh, I think that's what will uh, allow you to have uh, experiences uh, of all sorts that are uh, not readily available to people when you close yourself off, you know, to possibilities. Mm-hmm. Now, here's a question. Do the credits matriculate to uh, graduate school? <laughs> uh that's a good question. They really uh, don't and have a, a uh, what, what's the, an accreditation accreditation program? Is right. That, yeah, and, there isn't one yet. And uh, do they does this community college qualify in student loans? Uh, no, <laughs> uh, they might get some personal loans from some of the uh, 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 instructors, but uh, nothing uh, governmental. And of course, you know, you really don't want to get caught up in a government loan anyway, because uh, you'll be repaying it for the rest of your life. Since it's the one type of loan, I guess that uh, you know you uh, can't uh, get rid of in bankruptcy, from what I've been reading. Well, we we talked about the Edgar Allan Poe Community College, and you mentioned uh, when you were working for the Inquirer, verifying stories with people associated with universities. Yeah, uh, I'm wondering uh, what your thoughts are on the lack of university attention being paid to the subject. That's uh, it's always been minor. Uh, even even when I was doing it, <clears throat> because the the types of stories I do now, I don't have the uh, 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 legal department. I just uh, will take uh, uh, get somebody's email and just read it. And if it sounds, uh, if I have the gut feeling that it's a, a legitimate story, then I'll uh, work with it. But 
even at best, I mean, the number of people who, at universities who were handling this were pretty uh, small, and uh, I know they had a lot of uh, problems uh, themselves, many of them with the uh, their, uh, you know, other people at, at the school uh, uh, wondering, uh, you know, if they were uh, legitimate and should belong at the university. Um, I don't have any names here offhand, but I know that uh, it was pretty, you know, there were only a handful at the time that I could, could find at, you know, I mean, uh, when you're talking major mainstream institutions. Well, that's probably Duke's program is still running then, right? Yeah, that's right. Okay, I don't know if it still is, but I mean, yeah, I, no, I remember, in fact, I went over there a couple of times and looked through their materials. Uh, so. I mean, we, we've talked, uh, we talked with Dr. Jeff Teal, uh, a few weeks ago, who actually is instituting a course at, uh, his university, Ashland University. Oh. And it's, it seems like we keep picking up little bits and pieces here and there of schools starting to offer it more hmm. as a course. Of course, it's an elective. There's no degree programs for it, but at least they're able to get exposed to it and find out the science and the sociological aspects behind it as well. Yeah. Well, that's good. I'm glad to hear that. I, 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 since I'm kind of doing my own thing, I haven't had contact with the university, so I, I uh, wasn't aware of that, and I, that uh, makes me uh, pleased to do it since uh, it's a legitimate field of inquiry, and, and people should have an opportunity to uh, have a engage in some kind of a more formal sort of training in it. Well, Obviously, think- uh, with with the uh, Edgar Allan Poe Community College, it's just kind of a, a, a community, and it's kind of uh, all in fun. I say you'll probably get a lot of transfers from some of these classes coming over to Edgar Allan Poe now. <laughs> yeah. I know it's sort of like the ones who uh, can't cut it elsewhere. I guess uh, we don't. I don't want to admit it, but uh, we get some uh, dropouts. Do, do you but have, they make for very interesting people to uh, to uh, chat with? Do you have an athletic program? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good idea. Yeah, start up. You know, we could uh, play some. Uh, bend. Uh, you know, you can bend uh, bend it like Beckham with your mind power and that sort of thing. <laughs> The Edgar Allan Poe Ravens. <laughs> there, yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah. There you go. We'll right. use that. We'll attribute it to you guys, though. There you go. <laughs> well, thank yeah. you. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I think uh, I have a strange feeling that someday, uh, you know how every community college kind of has that kind of old hippie dude that hangs out on the quad? Uh-huh. You know, someday that might be Matt Moniz. You might just see him hanging out, <laughs> sitting on a bench, <laughs> trying to get some kids to play some ultimate frisbee. You know, you, yeah. you know what I mean, the guy who sells yeah. them the weed. Right. All right. <laughs> well, without before, actually uh, uh, touching the uh, the frisbee itself, you know, with, without handling it. Just yeah, there you of, go. Mental ultimate. Back and forth. Yeah, mental frisbee. That would be ultimate frisbee. Yeah. All right. So the Million Ghost March again. It's uh, taking place in conjunction with the uh, amazing meeting eight, which is happening in Las Vegas, July eighth through the eleventh. Right. So if you know any ghosts, tell them they need to take part in this. And they, as you said, they don't have to actually go. They can just stand up and be counted. That's correct. And uh, interesting note, you know, we mentioned Lizzie Borden. Uh, this is, uh, as we move into July, uh, June 20th, uh, that's actually the anniversary of the date that she was acquitted. Mm. So, you know, maybe she's listening. She listens to the show quite a bit, so maybe she's listening. She wanted to see if we would mention that. So now that she knows, I got a feeling maybe she'll stand up in support of this. Yeah. Her and the whole family. She's always welcome. Just leave the axe at home. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much, Peter. The website, askdocparanormal.com. Peter Fenton is his name. We've had a great time talking to you. Hopefully you can come great. back and join us again sometime. Good enough. Thanks a lot, Tim. All right. Thanks. Have a good night. All right. Bye. Bye-bye.
some great stuff. And, and you know, I like when we can have a night where I know you guys do it all the time anyway, but where we can let our hair down <laughs> and, and kind of not have to take ourselves seriously. And I think this was a great chance to do that. Again, com. Check it out. Read the stories. It's updated all the time. You can actually go and attend Edgar Allan Poe Community College online. It's, it's free. So why not do it? You can tell everybody that you're enrolled in classes online, and that's what you're doing on the computer all day. Look, see, Matt Goss is taking some classes now, right there. All right, uh, again, next week is our Bridgewater Triangle investigation show. If you want to take part and you want to help us out in the field, is Whaling City Ghost is going to do, Dartmouth Anomalies Research Team, Bay State Paranormal, uh, Spies, is still working under the Spies umbrella. Is that still their name? Yeah. Okay. So we've got all these different groups that are want to take part. We're looking for you. Oh, Vale's Edge Paranormal. I want to forget to mention them too. Uh, we've got so many groups that are want to take part in this. We have plenty of spaces, uh, plenty of spots where people can go out and investigate. So if you still want to get involved, then email me during the week, Tim at SpookySouthCoast.com. We'll get everything finalized by mid to late week, and then we'll have everybody out in the field Saturday night calling in with live reports. We're going to send Matt Moniz out there. We're going to send Andy Lake out there. I know Mike Markowitz is going to be involved as well. So, so many of our Spooky South Coast friends will be part of this, so why not you as well? Uh, the only catch is make sure you bring lots of bug spray because uh, I was out there for a few hours at that T-ball game getting eaten alive. I can only imagine what it's going to be like in the Hockamock Swamp and the Freetown State Forest. So, again, Tim at SpookySouthCoast.com if you want to take place. That about does it for tonight's show. We want to say happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. We know that a lot of dads listen to Spooky South Coast before they go to bed on Saturday nights, and hopefully you have a good Father's Day. I know I will. Very busy one. And uh, Matt Costa? Yep. You're the, you're the big daddy of the show. Thank you. You're, the, you're, our, you're our father. You raised us right. <laughs> okay. Well... <laughs> You don't have any kids. I thought I should recognize you in some way. I was going to say, where's our allowance? There you go. <laughs> Damn. All right. So until next week, for Big Daddy Matt Costa, for Science Advisor Matt Moniz, I'm Tim Weisberg. We want you all to stay spooktacular. Rest assured, listener, that my time here has not been easy, and what you have just heard was not fiction. Although, in many a desperate moment, I most certainly wish it had been. It's over for now, it seems. Or at least, until yesterday begins again. Tomorrow, 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 tomorrow. Look, I know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen, but it doesn't.